The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there is a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today. And we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here is Dave Goldberg. So good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. My name is Dave Goldberg and I'm your show host. Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at www.bigbeacon.org. And in every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. Uh, today, we're, we have a special treat. We're, we're joined by uh, uh, Harvard Business School Professor Emeritus and best-selling business author and, uh, and uh, change agent in chief, uh, John Cotter. John, uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Well, it's a, it's a personally a special treat uh, to have you on the show, and I, I remain grateful for your words of encouragement last year when we were trying to bring about change in uh, engineering education through books like A Whole New Engineer and, and The Big Beacon Movement, and those words came at a, a kind of a down moment and, uh, and, and helped us push forward, so thanks for your support and encouragement. That's terrific. So, John, so we're going to jump into all the great stuff you've done for change leadership. Um, but, you know, so, so some of our, our work here on Big Beacon Radio is to try to understand how people unleash themselves uh, for the 21st century. And, and, and you're a guy that over many years has unleashed himself to be a thought leader in, in change leadership. So I wonder if we could go back and look at some of your um, earlier aspirations and motivations. You, a lot of people uh, are unfamiliar that you're uh, undergraduate education started with an electrical engineering degree at MIT and, and then more business-oriented degrees at MIT and Harvard. So as you look back at, 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 at those, uh, those beginnings, uh, what was it uh, that, that kind of got you off and, and running to become the John Cotter that we know and love? Well, who knows? Uh, <laughs> uh, but I had a terrific opportunity to meet very smart people and and very caring people about what's happening in the world. And I suppose that gave me some optimism that somebody, even me, uh, could go out there and uh, do work um, of research and writing and uh, teaching um, that could make some difference. And uh, many, many decades later, uh, that's still my attitude. That's, that's, that's really... Uh... Uh, uh, beautiful and and um, and and this this next question is going to seem a little odd, but um, in my family, um, well, some people have said that we're no longer Jewish; that we're penguish. Our house is filled with penguins. We have penguin statues and penguin 
penguin artwork and so and and so I just love that uh, your books have penguins on the cover um, that uh, um, uh, our ice, our iceberg is melting one of the most popular books in in business history has uh, is all as an allegory about penguins what's with the penguins where did the where did the penguins come from well, yeah, believe, believe it or not, some uh, junior, I mean, it often comes from young uh, people, a uh, person in the um, kind of art part of uh, Harvard Business School Publishing was asked to work on a cover for a book I was writing called Leading Change. And uh, he or she, I don't even know that, um, came up with a number of alternatives, but, but stumbled across an image um, probably from the vast, you know, libraries of images they have that shows a penguin um, kind of leaping from one iceberg to the uh, the next, looking a little precarious, and um, all of his uh, or her fellow penguins kind of standing back but watching very, very carefully. Um, and he put that on a cover um, of the in a kind of a you know a nice way of the leading change book, and showed it to me and, and not directly through the editor. And I loved it. I thought it uh, there was something about it that captured um, a little bit of the the whole subject matter of the uh, the book. So it became the cover of the book. And penguins began to catch on um, right with that. Uh, it was a symbolic uh, thing. We began to put penguins on things. And then it, it took it up to another level when a German executive um, who worked for a medical products company uh, came up with this exercise to try to get his top management um, to think a little bit about the changes that were going on around them. And he, he does over-the-top stuff. And he actually made them uh, do this exercise as uh, penguins down in Antarctica, um, where one of them had discovered their iceberg is melting, and the rest of them didn't believe it. Um, And I listened to him and tried to help him, and finally I said, you know, this would be a terrific book, I can imagine. And we started writing a book together, which uh, about emperor penguins down in Antarctica, which has become just kind of a global phenomenon in its own right. And that just took it to a whole new level. And when, uh, when we started a company, uh, or when I helped a group of people co-found a company six years ago, um, which is called Cotter International, the person, uh, the marketing people, actually have as, as our logo, uh, in, uh, the Cotter, written, but if you look closely, in between the two T's, in the K-O-T-T-E-R, um, there's a penguin. <laughs> nice, nice. nice. <laughs> Well, anyways, you're a favorite. You're a favorite in the Goldberg household, uh, um, with uh, because of the because of the penguins, and that's that's a, that's a great story, and it's a great story about it's really a great story about leadership and change, and how how change kind of one thing leads to another, and change great great change initiatives. Absolutely, uh, and where it's inst- it starts off, you don't know where. And yes. most people don't know that story, so they have no clue. They think uh, one day I said penguins. Well, no. <laughs> no. And and how these things uh, kind of bounce around, and that sort of thing is happening more and more. And the number of people, not just at the top of organizations, you know, the big cheese, but uh, um, everywhere, are having an effect. And and. Uh, 
um, often uh, uh, standing out in, in their own small way, providing leadership, which actually moves, you know, a whole um, um, phenomena. Um, and we need lots more of that uh, in a faster-changing world. The notion that our world is going to be solved somehow in all of our problems by uh, Obama, six major CEOs, and, uh, and a, a few educators is just so ludicrous. And yet the average person, believe it or not, still today has been taught to think that way, that leadership has nothing to do with them. It's those guys. Um, and maybe uh, 10,000 years ago that was true, uh, but it wasn't even true a few hundred years ago. And, and Lord knows it has nothing to do with the reality that people don't necessarily see or feel today. Well, you know, and, and that's interesting. And, you know, when you started this uh, writing about uh, change leadership, and you make this distinction between the, a lot of people use the terms change management. You've, for a long time, used the terms change leadership. Maybe we start there. What's, what's that distinction? What, why is that important? Well, change management tends to be uh, taking some well-known change that you, you need to make and it's just making sure that it happens kind of on time and on budget and keeps under control, doesn't create you know, lots of problems, as changes often do. Um, and it's a whole set of tools and techniques and, and the like that uh, come very much from kind of the managerial toolbox, if you will. Um, in this case, trying to contain the, all the, the problems that can be uh, created by those pesky little human beings that get in the way of, uh, of change. Change leadership tends to be applied to bigger, more uncertain, more um, bigger, bigger leaps into the future, where it's not at all clear exactly where you you need to go. Um, where the uh, uh, the time often uh, take, take, takes longer, and and the the tools that you use come out of the leadership toolbox, if you will. It's much more about um, vision and communication to get people to buy into it and creating conditions that are empowering and motivating than it is, you know, putting together the project plan and the project budget and appointing people to various positions and um, uh, creating metrics and et cetera, et cetera. It's very different, just like management is different than leadership. Um, but as the world demands more and bigger and more complex and more uncertain um, leaps, changes, it's this change leadership thing that is becoming more important. Yet, the vast majority of time when people talk about change and how to handle it, they're talking about, they literally use the words correctly, as it turns out. Uh, this is a change management problem. Yeah, so that's so interesting because, you know, and it ties in what we were talking about before with the penguins. Essentially, it's we don't know where we don't know where the leaps are going to come from. We don't know who they're going to come from. And we don't know exactly what they are. Whereas in in change management, it's about doing this thing that we know and eliminating uncertainty or reducing it or or controlling it, six sigmaing it to death. But but what we're talking about here is almost an not an embrace of an uncertainty, a, a a comfort with it, and and a comfort with that that the solutions are going to come from places and people that we that we don't even we haven't even identified yet. Correct. Yeah. Now, beautiful. So, and actually, that it's you know, so your your eight your eight steps of, of change are 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 well known to people. Um, 
in, in the area and you know for for our listeners you know, so establishing a sense of urgency creating the guiding coalition de- developing a vision and strategy and these are the, your original ones and they they've changed a little bit but communicating the change vision empowering employees generating short-term wins cons- uh, cons- consolidating gains and producing more change and anchoring the new approaches in in culture all these work together as kind of a system but as as you've you've worked in this er- in this uh, realm for a long time what um which ones are absolutely the most important or which ones are the ones that are most ig- ignored most often the 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 the, the very first step um it's even becoming more important. I wrote a book called A Sense of Urgency because people kept asking me what word of people make the biggest mistake. And um, um, I thought about that and, and looked at the evidence we had and said it's right at the beginning. It's not establishing a high enough sense of urgency among enough people. Um, as the, the, the size and the complexity of these changes uh, and, and the, uh, gets, gets bigger, that only grows in importance. It's, it's, it's establishing kind of the, the right conditions, if you will, that will allow something that is quite tricky and quite difficult and doesn't necessarily, at least under current human conditions, happen very easily. It establishes the conditions where that is, in fact, possible. Um, and people don't get that right, I mean, constantly. They say, you know, no, we, we, people know there's a, a challenge or a problem. You know, there's enough urgency. Let's, you know, they want to go on and talk about uh, how they can uh, push this uh, Project C through out of the 16 projects that they have task forces set up to do. Um, and uh, uh, it is possible, though. We've learned this, and we've, we've tested this, and this is, one of the, uh, the skills of the, these wonderful professionals that have pulled together in this firm in, um, in the last six years is it is possible to uh, take a group of people who don't have much of a sense of urgency, or if they do, it, it's kind of uh, it's anxiety driven, running around in circles. You know, take care of yourself. Sure. Not not a sense of in the sense that there is there's there's there's. there's there's a problem, which, of course, offers an opportunity. Uh, there's always an opportunity associated with problems. And um, we have got to, I've, I've got to not only, not only do my job, but I've got to think on a regular basis, you know, kind of come in and, and think, what can I do to, to help us um, 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 capture um, this uh, opportunity? And that's going to require change, and, and so what, you know? It's it's my job, not just the, the executive vice presidents and the CEOs, to worry about that. And if you can get people into that, not just intellectually, so they can produce this, you know, this business logic that a typical consulting company will give them, but you can get in, uh, them into it emotionally. Where well, they- know, and that's so interesting too. I, that really, when you talk about urgency, fundamentally, you are talking about emotion, right? I mean, there is a logical part to it. There's a right. there's a business business case, but the things words like anxiety, worry, fear, those are all emotional words. And right. Opportunity has positive emotions uh, attached to it. It's, it's fundamentally about keeping that emotional side of the equation in front of people. Correct, and and turning it into the positive side, and make it infectious. So it uh, it goes from a small group who, who can see it 
to a larger and larger and larger group. We tell them if if you can't get half of it, half of your your folks, your management and and others. Um, feeling some of this, this, this positive excitement around. We've got to do this. We're going to do this, yeah. even even if it's difficult. If you can't do that, um, stop. Don't try to do anything else. Don't give me this. Now we're out of time. You know, um, the schedule here, and we have to move on. Don't move on. Get the sense of urgency up. Get all of these. Po- and and this is tough for a lot of people who've been raised in this kind of managerial world of metrics and overhead, uh, you know, and and PowerPoint yeah. slides with ten thousand words and numbers on each one of them, drained of. As a matter of fact, you know, the whole idea is to keep emotion out of the workplace. Yes. All it does is people get you know heated up and irrational and all of this stuff. You know, keep it keep it calm and rational. And and they're they're huge forces. Still uh, today, pushing, but this goes back to every great leader throughout history um, knows that the emotional component, the passion, uh, uh, is what can make a, a group of people do things that you'd never think they were able to do. Um, to create a whole new society, to create a whole, to get us to the moon. I mean, you know, that had a huge technical component. There's no question about it, um, but. It would not have happened if it hadn't started with JFK and a lot of other people around him, their leadership, and then a lot of people getting caught in that dream. Yeah, that's that's just so great, to, and 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 it's it's so important and so often neglected. So we're gonna we're gonna take a little break here and and come and John, I want to come back um, on this. Uh, uh, point of emotion, but also the other ways in which you've noticed how change has changed over the years. You've been working on it a long time, and uh, things in Accelerate, for example, your latest book, seem talk uh, have a little different language, uh, consistent, but a little different language, and so we want to focus on that. So this is, this is Big Beacon Radio with special guest John Cotter, uh, change leadership authority and best-selling author and thought leader. When we come back from the break, we'll... Um, We'll return to this discussion of emotion and how changes change. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Change is coming to higher education like a freight train, but transforming higher education is challenging, full of risks and opportunities for administrators and faculty members alike. If you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom, if you are starting a brand new school or academic program, or if you'd like to boost your own career, let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. Dave is a leading speaker, author, strategist, trainer, and coach with experience in helping bring successful change to both academic institutions and careers around the globe. To learn more, contact Dave Goldberg today at deg at 3joy.com or go to the 3Joy Associates website at www.3joy.com today. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. To find out more about our programs, be sure to visit our website at bigbeacon.org. That's bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. I'm your host, Dave Goldberg, uh, with our with our guest, uh, John Cotter. So, John, in, in the last segment, we were, we were just talking uh, about emotion and how it really hasn't had a place in business. I, I, sometimes I use the language, uh, big boys don't cry. So it's like there's this, this prohibition against um, emotion. But that, I mean, it's not just about crying or sadness. It's about all kinds of emotion gets squeezed out. And, and, and your work has said for a long time how important that is, especially when we, when we need to change. Absolutely. And uh, the other side is we don't celebrate enough. Um, uh, people do... Uh, um, or can do if you create the right conditions, which is what leaders have always done throughout history. Astonishingly cool things, and and it's not just gigantic; it's little cool things. Yes. And um, but, uh, we don't celebrate uh, en- enough of that. Uh, 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 just little, you know. Literally, hooray for us! <laughs> you know, hooray for Joe! Hooray for Joe and Alice! Um, um, but that would because it, that isn't uh, that is very an emotional. I mean, emotional thing. Celebration is you know positive ions kind of pouring all over the room, uh, and yet that seems to be an important part of uh, of uh, what change leadership is all about. And um, and again and and again, what we're finding today, the big difference between today and twenty years ago, probably twenty years ago and forty years ago, and on back for. Um, at least 500, if not 1,000 years, is the speed of change just continues to go up. Mm. And as it goes up, uncertainty goes down. Um, uh, it doesn't feel that way. I mean, who among us says this, well, the speed of change, you know, is a lot faster than it was six months ago. We don't experience life that way. Um, we see statistics. Uh, uh, but the the reality is that, is I mean, who could, who could have thought even ten years ago when I was beginning to write more and more about this that you could have some events in Greece that would affect people in some small town in Montana who couldn't find Greece on a map, but interconnectedness in the globe. Uh, along with technology, are speeding things up, and one change kind of bounces around and affects somebody else uh, somewhere else. That's what integration does, uh, and w- which in turn affects somebody else, which comes back in a, in a feedback loop and affects the first thing that got it started. Yes. And so everything is just uh, uh, because of these kind of uh, positive feedback loops, if you will, is, is going faster. Um, and that means that change is not an event anymore. It's, it's, it's like a continuous process, and we certainly aren't organized for that. We're not even organized for handling change as single big events, um, as opposed, uh, much less uh, just uh, accepting that it's going to be a series of uh, not trivial but you know, significant events, and we have to organize our businesses and our governments and our universities uh, to be able to uh, deal with that for our benefit and not just deal with it to kind of pr- protect us from getting hurt too much. Yes. And, and, and I, so I'm, I'm hearing the, about the, the speed of change and, and, um, and the interconnectedness. And then down at the, 
at the more organizational level, um, in, in looking at, say, uh, leading change back in, back in the early days and, and say, your, your book Accelerate, um, there's a calling out of, um, so it was the guiding coalition back in leading change, and now it's a, a dual operating system. What, what's that about? Well, it, it, part of it is related to the fact that back, back then, a lot of the big changes that were going on were single events. You know, we have to implement this new SAP system, Lord help us. Um, But it'll be done in two years, and and that's the end of that. Um, Increasingly today, that may be true over in this division or in this department, but halfway into this, a change is affecting uh, uh, this division or this geography or this department, and then another one of significant. So it's an ongoing flow. Uh, more today than it was back then, which means you've got to have a system, if you will. You can't just, you can't just, you know, every once in a while go to the change closet, pull out, pull out the change leadership tools, you know, kind of use them effectively, then pack them back into the box and put them back into the closet. Uh, you have to take, take that stuff out and figure out how do we build a, a, a system that can use this stuff um, as powerfully as it needs to be used on an ongoing basis to deal with things. So um, uh, that's what we talk about. A, a, a dual system is, is simply something that can get the wash out every day, um, which is more management things, as well as something that is constantly um, um, finding, uh, uh, finding ways to take advantages of the big opportunities that are all, all, always around us and making changes, uh, and then incorporating those changes in the basic way we um, operate. One's more of a structurally a hierarchy, the other's more structurally a kind of a network type of, of, of thing. Um, uh, well, and, and, yeah, and, and let me just jump in. So, and actually, there's a sense in which, you know, so in, in the olden days, it, the integrating with culture was easier because it was the changes were discrete and you say, all right, how do we get this? How do we blend this into our culture? And though, and now uh, because the pace of change has speeded up, the things that we're doing are actually bigger shifts in the culture of the organization. Right. And so that requires a, a place to, um, to, uh, to protect this new culture from, uh, from while well, using the, the the penguin metaphor, the no nos of the world. Um, so how do we create a? We've got to create this very different culture that's that's so much different than than the old one. How do we how do we give that a, a safe place to nurture itself? Is that is that fair? Or am, yeah. Am I well, and, and 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 the way by and large how culture always changes is yeah. is you don't you don't put up a, a culture task force. Trust me. Yeah. And uh, tell them to, to go into a room and figure out what the new culture is and then communicate it through the communications department that's going to tell us what our new culture is. And sure. believe it or not, usually driven by the HR group, which, uh, good people, uh, that's happening as we're talking right now all around the globe. It has a track record that is so dismal it's unbelievable. Um, cultures change because you 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 get a vision of a of a new thing that fits the new reality, i.e., changes that are happening. You get people to try to actually behave in a new way. It it gets results. Um, you keep it up. You keep it up so it becomes a new habit, if you will, uh, that uh, people have, and it kind of sinks into the uh, uh, culture. Uh, and you can do that all without even talking about the word culture and, and culture changes. Um, 
But that has to be going on not just uh, once every 25 years. It has to be going on these days yeah. kind of all the time. Um, and, uh, and if you fall behind, you, you just don't do it. You can find yourself all of a sudden so far behind what you need. Your, your culture seems so far out of tune with the, uh, the needs of the day. And we can point to any number of uh, institutions around the world that are trapped into that, that the leap sure. in the future seems so big yeah. uh, that it's, 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 it's depressing almost. Uh, don't don't fall behind, and if you get in that place, it's just going to be a much larger uh, job. But it's still the same fundamental processes. Yeah, actually, in, in what you were, I heard in, in sort of the at at the level of individuals, emotion has been a taboo. We you know, we can't talk about emotion. There's also that sort of at the level of organizations, it's like, well, we don't we don't do culture here. We're too busy making money or or, or on the on the five year plan. So uh, culture is in some sense the moral equivalent at the organizational level of of emotion. It's something that 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 big boys or big organizations uh, don't do. Uh, well, I think uh, a, a number of famous uh, CEOs have said that. Well, we don't we don't I don't know what culture is, but. But of course, they all have a culture, and and that's the fundamental thing. In some ways, the fundamental thing that needs change, but but not explicit change by the HR department, as you say. Yeah, and and even when they uh, when this is raised by a, a line manager, they, they then go into the real meeting, you know, <laughs> uh, in which they're back down to the strategy and and the numbers and yeah. and all of that stuff, uh, yeah. as opposed to this fluffy, silly. Yeah, foo foo. Uh, yeah, so uh, rolling up the eyes. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, but uh, which uh, penguin was it? Fred's Fred's bringing up culture again, and we move yeah, on. Right, to, right, we, right. We move right. on to the next thing. We'll so you know, so this is. I mean, this is this this is this is a great conversation, an important one um, for the for our listeners in higher education. Let's let's turn to higher education for a moment. So, and and a lot of your professional work has been in working with corporations and other organizations right. and. But you've been a faculty member for many years, and are, and or at least a, probably more than amateur observer of the the higher ed scene. You know, when you look at the the implications of your work, um, and the and the obstacles of of applying your work to higher education, what what do you see? Well, it, it's at a certain level of abstraction, it's the same process, the same problems, and everything else. But higher ed, of course, like you know, many places. Uh, uh, the hospital, the healthcare system is is different than uh, uh, low tech manufacturing, uh, which is different than uh, the military, um, and higher ed is another different um, thing. Uh, and the most obvious way, um, uh, well, one of the most obvious ways is difficult, is that the boss, the CEO, has less power. Mm. Um, relative to the system, the average dean, uh, at least around us, um, you know, uh, can raise money and build a building, but uh, he can't change uh, the, the 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 smallest course in the curriculum uh, because the senior faculty uh, kind of control that. Uh, but higher ed is at a very very interesting stage, I think, um, in its own uh, development. The system we have right now. At Harvard and, and other places, uh, depending upon what you want to say, is either the product. The, the modern research university is the product of 
of what's happened after World War II. The modern university, you could argue, it, it, uh, most of its aspects were in place uh, 100 years ago. And uh, some, you, you got to remember, universities were founded uh, almost uh, 1,000 years ago. Um, and even Harvard goes back to 1636, which it proudly points out any time you ask. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, the challenges are all over the place. You know, what, what, is, what, what, what does all this new technology mean? Um, uh, right now in the news, of course, is a rediscussion because of what's happening in Wisconsin in the United States of the whole question of tenure. Yes. Um, what does it mean in the kind of uh, world we're operating uh, in right now? It was invented for a different world. Um, and uh, those are just two little pieces. I mean, I know people who think that the bricks and mortar um, uh, quaint uh, university uh, won't be around in a century. Um, uh, that, uh, that, uh, uh, well, but but it, uh, you could get depressed about that, or watch the people fighting, or you could also say we need an educated uh, a world, a, a more te- technologically sophisticated world, uh, where everybody's being pulled from their small little you know uh, West China villages into the global uh, uh, community. Uh, we need more education, better education, more sophisticated education for everyone. Well, that's very exciting. Um, and now it's a matter of how do we figure out we're going to do it, and the assumption that we, we should do what we do only, you know, a little bit higher quality. I mean, that doesn't face that. There's not a lot, a lot of face validity to that assumption. Yes. Uh, but uh, the chances that it's going to be solved because, uh, again, uh, uh, Obama or his uh, uh, replacement is going to put together a commission of awfully smart people, and they're going to come up with a plan, which is somehow going to be implemented. It's not going to yep. happen that way. Who knows who will uh, start the uh, – there's innovation going on all over the place right now. You know about that. Um, and we need more. Um, and we need more people uh, at the level of uh, deans and college presidents who are willing to help nurture that and uh, and create conditions where uh, that can happen, and more professors who will recognize, just like the average human being on Earth right now, that their job is to be more than a kind of traditional professor. Their job is to help provide leadership on critical issues that have to do with higher education that are going to make a difference in this world. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so interesting, and it actually goes back to some of the points that you were making earlier. You said, uh, which which thing is most neglected in most organizations? And you said, number one, it's ur- urgency, and it, so it seems as though urgency is missing from the equation in higher ed. And then your emphasis on leadership as opposed to management, there's there's leadership missing, and 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 I heard in what you said that we have this tendency to to put it on the big L leader in, in the organization, the president or the dean. But actually, we need little L leaders all over the place in higher ed. Is what I'm hearing in what you're saying. Absolutely, on yeah. all of those points. Well, you know, so so John, we've got about uh, 30 seconds before we go to go to break. Um, what's what's next on on the John Cotter's radar? What uh, new projects, uh, books, well, uh, things I, are you working on that our readers or listeners would like to hear about? 
Well, I've just finished my uh, uh, fifth draft of my next book, which is going to be another fable. It'll be the second fable I read, uh, write, which means uh, all the anti-fable people in this world, including a lot of my colleagues, will uh, not like that. But uh, the first one did a lot of good. So this one is not going to be about penguins. It's going to be about meerkats in the Kalahari. Uh, and you're just going to have to wait till it comes out to know what it's about, except uh, um, it's, a, it, it's an exciting and interesting story um, that relates directly to core features about uh, leadership and management, which are vastly misunderstood in this world today. And if, if we can make even the tiniest bit of, of progress in helping people to understand more about that, um, I think it would... Uh, it would be terrific. John, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to be with us. Uh, John Cotter, uh, uh, Harvard Business uh, School professor and, and uh, chairman of Cotter International. Uh, your, your work continues to be an insor- important source of inspiration for all of us. Well, I, it, it's great to hear you say that. So this is uh, Big Beacon Radio with uh, guest John Cotter. In the next segment, I'll be joined by... Uh, uh, John Traquillo of uh, uh, Bucknell University to explore some of the practical implications of John's writing and thinking for higher education change and transformation. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Change is coming to higher education like a freight train, but transforming higher education is challenging full of risks and opportunities for administrators and faculty members alike. If you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom, if you are starting a brand new school or academic program, or if you'd like to boost your own career, let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. Dave is a leading speaker, author, strategist, trainer, and coach with experience in helping bring successful change to both academic institutions and careers around the globe. To learn more, contact Dave Goldberg today at deg at 3joy.com or go to the 3Joy Associates website at www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. To find out more about our programs, be sure to visit our website at bigbeacon.org. That's bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. So welcome back to Big Beacon Radio with your host, Dave Goldberg. Uh, In this segment, I'm joined uh, by uh, guest commentator Joe Tranquillo of uh, Bucknell University, and uh, we have a little bit of a treat. We were able to talk uh, John into sticking with us for this segment to make it more of a a roundtable conversation. Conversation, but uh, Joe is an experienced university uh, change uh, agent, and uh, he's done a lot of uh, cool and exciting stuff. Uh, welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks so much, Dave. This is really a treat and uh, really inspirational to hear John's words of advice 
um, you know, that last section was, was really important for, I think, anybody who's in higher ed who's looking to make some real impactful changes. Yeah, I agree. And, and so, but before we, we dig into that, and I, I, I want to get your, your sort of takeaways from uh, our first two segments, Joe, but uh, before we do that, uh, what should our audience know about, about, about you uh, as a change agent and, and you personally? Well, um, I am at Bucknell University. I'm having a blast here. I, I came here because I wanted to teach. That was really what I was inspired to do. And hearing all of this talk about change, you know, to me, education is all about change. It's about changing what's happening inside a student's head. So I think a, a lot of what John was talking about, I think, is, is just good education in general. Um, but there's another level to that, and you alluded to it in the last section, and that is that there's the people version of change, and then there's the sort of university version of change. And that's where I've, um, I, frankly, a lot of times I think we fall short when it comes to that in terms of how to change universities. So there have been a couple things I've been involved in, many of them that you touched on in um, A Whole New Engineer. So bringing back some of the core liberal education to the uh, engineers so they have a deeper context um, for the world. But but then also balancing that with that entrepreneurial mindset. So thinking of the world as this constantly changing place where they need to stay hungry and keep observing and, and keep learning through their careers. And it's just been a, a big treat for me to get to um, just work at that intersection um, day after day after day. So thanks nice. for having me on. No, it's a pleasure. And, and yeah, so you've been involved with our friends at uh, Epicenter at uh, Stanford and our friends uh, in the, the uh, Kern Family Foundation Keen Network on entrepreneurship. And so uh, and you've done some really cool stuff there at uh, Bucknell with internal networks of change. So it's great to have you on the show. So, you know, so we just had a couple of segments with John. I guess, uh, Joe, what's your um, if, if you were to sort of reflect back on the conversation, what's your. Um, what's your biggest takeaway from the things that John said uh, in the context of higher ed? Oh, boy, that, that's a tough question. I, uh, I, I wrote down a lot of things, and I'm going to continue digesting them, I think, after the show. But the, the one that really just right now struck me was this idea that we're embedded in these universities, and they, they have this very rational um, mind outlook on the world. And, and just the number of times that emotion came up, um, and, and what I wonder is, uh, and this is for, for either one of you, I think, is you know, how do we get people in universities to take on what John called this positive emotional connection um, with other people that becomes infectious. Uh, I'm wondering if there's any guidance that you can give us on that. Yeah, John, what, 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 what's your comment on that? Well, one of the things that, that my guys have, have, have learned and, and, um, and do on a regular basis, and I just heard some terrific feedback um, um, actually this morning uh, and yesterday, um, from some work that's going on with a gigantic nonprofit. Now it's not a university, but it's a very different thing than a than a business, um, in which they're in that stage of of uh, step one, uh, uh, working with them to clarify a, kind of a, a big opportunity, and a big opportunity stated and thought about in a way that is just very emotionally compelling. Um, for them, and then how they're going to go about uh, not just sending out an email to everybody <laughs> with the attachment A, but actually create um, uh, events and, and communications and discussions 
that will get uh, uh, more and more and more people uh, excited about that. Uh, the problem with the university, as you say, it, and it's become more of a cerebral, uh, you know, one side of the mind uh, uh, creature uh, since uh, the big research universities took off after World War II and as, as science were the big yes, uh, not just in the, uh, the kind of MIT sciences that I was ex- exposed to, but now almost every field um, has grown and grown and grown. Um, some of the inherent um, passion that is that is always been around with with education. Uh, I mean, people don't go. In, uh, people can't stand in front of a, a classroom of young people without a piece of their brain um, wanting to actually help these young people um, go out and and do something useful in this world. Uh, even the most if you if you look at the greatest educators of all time, and that would include some people who who win Nobel prizes, so they're they are scientists with a big S. Um, uh, if you can get them going, if you can get a conversation going uh, with them uh, about education, I mean they do become uh, even if if they're soft spoken, passionate about helping young people go out and. Um, have a better lives that serve society. I mean, there's a little bit of that. I mean, people don't go into education uh, to make uh, to become a billionaire. Um, uh, they they go in for other reasons too, and one of them is is very much an emotional reason. So the, it, it's there. It just doesn't get tapped enough. The conditions for saying let's. You know, educational institutions are, uh, by definition, I mean, what they're trying to do is it has a deep emotional level about what we as a society care about with young people. And so let's tap into that. Let's think about where the opportunity here uh, um, is to do something that is even, uh, that, that fits the 21st century and will make this a better place um, for our children and grandchildren, and we in education can do that. Now, for this specific institution or this part of the institution, let's let's talk about it and and, and and clarify that, and then get as many of us into that dialogue and as excited, not just as a, a oh yes, this seems logical, but genuinely excited, and. And the notion that that can't be done in an educational institution, I just don't buy it. Um, uh, somebody recently said to me, oh, Jesus, you're, you're talking, what about the military? I mean, these guys command and control, um, hard, you know, uh, uh, no tears, oh, no tears in the military. Some of the people who are emotion, emotionally committed to a mission, emotionally, committed to a mission that I've never met in my life are military people, you know, um, yes. service, country, duty, whatever. Um, it's not a logical thing. I mean, it's pure, deep passion. And um, all the great generals throughout history have known how to uh, uh, tap into that in, uh, in a positive way to, to, to thwart off, you know, um, evil tyrants and to, to make great nations. Yeah. Um, well, you know, and as you're talking, John, you know, I was thinking, you know, so 
um, we've all had the experience of working with a young person, a graduate student or an undergraduate student, and um, seeing them discover or do something really cool and feeling it as as their advisor, their mentor, or, you know, whatever role it was, or, or their professor, whatever role it was that we're playing. So we we experience that, um, and 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 there there are a number of stories in a whole new engineer along this line. And but every time I've I've seen change embraced, it was embraced by the heart first and then by the mind. You know, so right. I've seen. I've seen hardcore guys who thought that you know what we needed in engineering education was more differential equations, and right. and and uh, that that's what we really needed. And then I've seen them um, stand by and watch kids at a picnic get turned on by by um, a visitor who was involved in the early days of of cell phone technology and be just enthralled by their conversation. It's so so witnessing engagement and experiencing engagement and and passion is is how we do it and yet and yet we seem you know and, and I think it's in some ways worse and worse in academic life that we that we have this um, that we're supposed to the 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 notion of a scientist is dispassionate and objective and that to inject emotion into the discourse is fundamentally in error and um, that, that doesn't you know um, but it seems to me it fundamentally misunderstands how people really work. Without question. And, and it's everywhere. I mean, everybody thinks they're unique, and they are. You're different than I am. But you should see some of these strategy meetings inside big corporations. My Lord. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's all tough, cerebral, beat the guy up if his, if his numbers aren't exactly right. I mean, it's... It's uh, and they would think of themselves as the really smart people. These university guys, you know, who have to actually involved in teaching, are the kind of low lowlifes. Um, that same attitude is is a function of just the, the nature of modern organizations trying to to uh, get a lot of work done uh, with a lot of people in coordinated ways and efficient ways. Um, and uh, it's needed, uh, but not at the expense of uh, this whole other aspect, which, among other things, helps us adapt to a changing um, world. Um, so it is as rational and tough to deal with, and don't give me this celebration stuff <laughs> that you find in universities. I'm telling you, when you get to the senior levels of some of these big corporations, it's even worse. Even worse, Joe. So actually, I thought your question was a great question. You've had experience with um, doing these things and and watching passion or its lack in the university setting. What's what was your answer to your own your own question about how do we get it in? Oh boy, um, I, I think you know some of the work that John has done is may, maybe uh, biased me um, a, a bit, but to me, it, it is always those big opportunities. So rather than have the doom and gloom attitude of, you know, we're, we're at a, a place where we're not Harvard, but we have bricks and mortar um, and a beautiful campus, and, and, it, and it's really easy to look around and say, are, are we going to be here in 100 years? You know, what are we doing this for? Um, and, and I think, at least to me, the answer is it is around those big opportunities, and I, I see a lot of them in engineering. Um, 
I think they're positive drivers as opposed to the, the fear and anger tactic. But I'd be curious from John, what do you think are the big opportunities in, in higher ed at this point in time? Well, I've been operating in higher ed for Lord knows. I mean, it seems at times like it's been since the Civil War. It's been a long time. <laughs> and yet, and, yet, um, and it's, uh, I don't think the, the, the really clever, I think on the one hand, the answers are, are, are mundane to the, those questions. Um, uh, the, our opportunity is to, you know, educate more people better. You know? <laughs> and I, but, but in terms of specific kind of innovations, um, I don't, I don't know that my judgment is best. It's conceivable. I've been around too long. I've been, I've been uh, socialized into the current system uh, too much. Um, what we need, what I need, uh, what we all need, are, are ideas from um, from uh, as many people as possible who can get kind of emotionally tied up into the whole notion of. Uh, there is a better way that fits the changing times, and it's not gloom and doom. Um, what we're finding constantly in a corporate setting now, it's amazing how many things pop out of the oddest little places. You know, a group of a first-line supervisor and somebody on the third shift and uh, somebody that they got connected to because of conditions were created to allow it, um, who's also a young person, um, in uh, marketing uh, and not out, outside the plant, come up with something that nobody else, including the highly paid bosses, ever thought of. Um, and um, conditions are created so that it can be tried in a little way um, without much uh, money or resources. And when it works, you know, uh, it can go from there. Um, I yeah, bet John. you. I bet you right now the number of ideas that are out there buried uh, that I haven't seen that are really kind of clever notions on how we can take specific places like Bucknell or Harvard or in general and move us, you know, in a good direction. I bet the number of those ideas is uncountable, and right. they're just not being surfaced. There's not uh, the the kind of organizational space to. To uh, to help them to, to come up and and um, and get a chance at uh, being tried, uh, and that's gotta that's gotta change. So we've any advice about, for we've us just on got that? About is there, two, is there a I'm way sorry. for universities to perhaps share um, some of these tidbits that are up and coming? So, so I'm sorry, Joe. We've got about a about a minute about a minute sure. left, and so. Um, and I and uh, John, I'm going to give you um, the last word on 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 that on that question. What what are well? Let's start even within universities. I mean, it it doesn't mean that the uh, the the best ideas are over over there. Very often, they're you know underneath your nose. You just you just don't allow for um, the things that are close by to to to. To speak up, to look, um, uh, to uh, uh, interesting groups of people uh, from different perspectives to talk to each other. Um, I can I can tell you right now, the the probability that there aren't 
50 really interesting ideas somewhere buried within the Harvard system, of which three have any visibility right now yeah. and are being worked on and are probably being worked on in the wrong way. And I, right. I, I, that yeah. sounds condescending to my colleagues uh, at, at Harvard, and I don't mean that. Uh, but that's, that's the way we, we are right now, and we have to find a way, and, I, and, and, and we are finding ways, and, and we finding we're doing ways. it with our own little firm yeah. um, to tap into that and make, make cool things happen. Great. Well, thanks so, so much. Uh, I want to uh, thank uh, Joe Tranquillo, uh, Bucknell, and, and John Cotter, uh, Harvard, and uh, Cotter International um, for, for joining us. It's been a lively discussion. There's certainly more to say, but uh, thanks, thanks for uh, uh, joining in. And, and uh, you've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education with Dave Goldberg. Special thanks to John Cotter and Joe Tranquillo. And join us next month when founding dean of Lausanne University's uh, Lausanne School of Engineering, Janusz Kaczynski, jo- Janusz Kaczynski joins us to talk about the Renaissance engineer. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join David Goldberg soon for another edition. New episodes are heard every month on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.